Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Today we've got one of my favorite people, the photographer George Lang. Um, George is one of my favorite people because he's just so filled with joy and this ridiculous urge to connect with other people and, and know about them. Uh, George is most well known for his iconic photos in uh, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and other magazines. Um, photos of actors and athletes and musicians from the cast of Seinfeld at, at the height of their fame to Dennis Rodman and um, our fellow Pittsburgher Andy Warhol and um, even Bob Marley. Um, George has taken photos of, in his words, presidents, poets, and people I pull in off the street. Photos of strangers. Um, George grew up in Pittsburgh, where I'm from, and we connected over that um, when our kids were going to the same elementary school in Boulder uh, a long time ago now. And um, eventually, um, I was amazed to hear George's life story about his uh, legendary friendship with the late Francesca Woodman, um, uh, his time as an assistant for Annie Leibovitz, and then his long career, well, Picturing Joy, which is the name of his new book. Uh, you can go to georgelang.com to find out more about George, see his work, and up to order Picturing Joy. But do that after listening to our conversation, which is up next, after some words from the amazing, all-purpose, Colorado catering company, Savory Cuisines. Looking for a professional Boulder, Colorado catering company with an excellent reputation for service and food? Savory Cuisines Catering works to provide the very best catering services in the Boulder and Denver metro areas by consistently delivering superior service, extensive menus, and unforgettable events. They use only the freshest and most flavorful ingredients prepared and served by their experienced and professional staff, led by the one and only Bob Sargent. Your party, wedding, or corporate event will sparkle with Savory's wide array of appetizers, entrees, and desserts. With 20 years in business here in Boulder, with exceptional high-quality service, Savory is the ideal catering company for your next event. Head to SavoryCuisines.com for more info. What's up, George? Hey. How are you, buddy? Oh, I hear you. Yeah. You sound good. Yeah, man. So good to see you. You too. <laughs> you Yinzer. It's a 412. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got an even nicer microphone than I got. <laughs> well, you know what happened? My son Jackson um wanted to do podcasts at one point, and I got yeah. him this roadie go thing that we've never really used. Yeah, that's really nice. But it's yeah, that's killer. I'm taking my kid to see Beck. And Red Rocks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's amazing. I'm really excited to talk to you about Picturing Joy. This is the first time you've done a book. Uh, it's the second time I've done a book. I did second one ten, 10 years ago. It was called The Unforgettable Photograph. Yeah. Um, and it did really well. Okay. The best, the best part is uh, Instagram bought 5,000 copies of it oh. and then created this position of artists in residence with their in house ad agency, which is called Creative Shop for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to go all over the world for uh, Instagram. 
uh, and had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Fantastic. I mean, even the name of this book, I thought I wanted to ask you, has that, has this been your career? Picturing joy. That's your Yes. Question. Well, first of all, I have to show it to you, even though no one can see it. It just came today. Oh, like sweet. today I got yeah. my first, my first copy, a single copy, which is <laughs> here. It's beautiful. But it's a really good Pittsburgh story. And I love that you and I have Pittsburgh connections. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was living in Boulder for seven years mm -hmm. um, and then moved back to Pittsburgh after my mother passed away four yeah. years ago and actually moved into the house that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And they always say you can't go home again. And I've always believed that home is where the heart is. And I come back to Pittsburgh and find out that it's this is this is my home. Yeah. And it manifests itself in so many incredible ways. But one of the most interesting is I put up pictures on a wall, which I never do in my studio. You can see it behind me. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked at the wall and I went, oh my gosh, there's this thread going through all the pictures that I never thought about. And when I came back to Pittsburgh, I reconnected with this feeling of joy that I had growing up, mm -hmm. which is not happy all the time, but it's this love of connecting with people, connecting yeah. with, with you right now. Yeah. Um, and it's trying to recreate that feeling has been what I've done my entire adult career. Mm -hmm. And I've done it, you know, with presidents, I've done it with musicians, I've done it with poets, I've done it with the people on the street that I grab and bring into my studio. And yeah. I, I really feel that I do it with, with my relationships too, with my friendships, mm -hmm. with my marriage, with my kids. And seeing that and understanding that, I, I started to write about it last fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, it became this book, but I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait for a publisher. I didn't, I wanted to get the book out. So I did the whole book in four months. Uh, it's a self-publishing mm -hmm. hybrid. Yeah. And yeah. it's so much fun. The woman that I worked with on it said, when you write these stories, pretend that they're a tangled head of hair and brush mm -hmm. it and brush it and brush it. And then look at it the next day and you'll see it's still a little tangled. You brush it some more. So the stories are very condensed, but they're really, um, they're from all throughout my, my uh, career. The stories are very vivid and, and fun. You know, they're joyful. My, my favorite one is the picture of you. I love all the pictures of you with the beard and the long hair. But, <laughs> um, but the photo of you with your dad at the Steelers game, like really into it, you know. Did, did you go to Steelers games when you were growing up? We couldn't afford Steelers games. We went to Pirates games when it was Buck Night, you know, and we would we would go for a dollar. I didn't go to a Steelers game until I was maybe 15. And then I went again when I was maybe in college at Pitt. Ah. You know? And um, I wanted to ask you, how has Pittsburgh changed since you grew up? I mean, my sense was was that it's it's suddenly cool when you go back. It's like, wow, this place is cool now. Except when we were growing up, it was cool because that's yeah. all we knew. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so we would find pockets of cool. And I think wherever you go, you kind of find it. Coming back has been, it's been opening myself up and appreciating great generosity. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like I have a lot to give back to the city now because I've had this wild career and I'm coming yeah. back here with, with a lot to share. And I also feel that I've met these incredible people that appreciate me, that are very supportive of me. And it's kind of a two-way thing. I can help them tell their story. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm involved in telling Pittsburgh's story now. Mm -hmm. And I also feel 
very alive. It's a very human city, but it's also hard mm. to describe what it is. Like if someone says, oh, Pittsburgh sounds great. Should I consider moving there? Well, I can't really recommend someone moves mm. here because I'm coming here with so many connections. Yeah, um, right. And I mean, I'll tell you one thing about Pittsburgh is it's very affordable. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, even when you're talking about dollar pirate games, mm -hmm. um, they have a thing for the pirates now where you can pay, I think it's 25 or $30 a month and you get standing room at all the games. Well, since mm -hmm. there are always plenty of seats, it's basically $30 a month to go to all the home games. So yeah. whether you you know are struggling or not, you, you, know, you can probably scrape that together and, and afford it. And uh, that would be the cost of like a, a parking spot at a Dodgers game. Not even. I mean, <laughs> I remember yeah. going to a football game down in Dallas and the parking was like $150 yeah. or something. Yeah. It was it was so insane. Steeler games are expensive. And my dad had six tickets. He was not wealthy. Yeah. But for some reason, he had tickets my whole life and they were nothing like they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I gave those tickets away, unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> when I left Pittsburgh and yeah. uh, now that my son's really into football, I'm I'm regretting that just a teeny bit. But uh, but again, people are generous, like people call, mm. you need a ticket to this, you need, a, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just accessible. There's no concert here that you can't get into. There's right. no sporting event that you can't find a way to, um, I mean, it's been funny even this summer. People have been so generous with me. A friend mm. has a beach house that he could VRBO for thousands of dollars a week, but he mm. doesn't want to do that. An old friend from Pittsburgh. Yeah. And every summer we get to go to the beach house for a week for free. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of generosity, it feels like that's, that's out of another era. Yeah. Um, and even in New York, there's a client of mine um, who's a good friend now. And she said, I have an apartment in New York for July if you, if you need to use it. Hmm. Well, I said, you're talking to the wrong person unless yeah. you're, you're serious about it. And I went to New, to New York four times in the last month and just oh, that's fell, awesome. fell in love with uh, New York again. But yeah, I, but I could do it by not having like insane expenses every time I went. Yeah. Well, you meet Pittsburgh people all over the world too. Um, and there's this connection, which is funny because a lot of the reason that you meet them all over the world is because they left, you know, but then they still have this like civic pride that they have in places like Pittsburgh and, and Boston, you know, that we don't quite experience in Colorado or California, really. It's really yeah. cool. There's also this wild boomerang effect in Pittsburgh. Like there's so many people that left after high school, mm -hmm. had this whole, whole experience like I did. And like yeah. 40 years later or 30, something like that, 40 years later, come back. And I never expected to move back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh was great, but I never thought that the opportunities would be here. And not only the opportunities in Pittsburgh for me, but my whole career everywhere. I, I'm doing a ton of work in uh, San Francisco now. Mm -hmm. And everything seems to be like, there's some very good, you know how they talk about the heat dome mm -hmm. over the, over Texas this summer? Right. It, it feels like there's a karma dome over Pittsburgh. And, wow. and in this karma dome, so many good things have happened and it's almost you're pinching yourself going like mm. there's a life coach that I went to during um, COVID, a really wonderful woman named 
Bear Brandigy. And we met and she wrote a lot of things down um, that we said at the very beginning. And we haven't been seeing each other so much in, in that uh, like that recently, but I called her up the other day and I said, Bear, it's happening. Hmm. And burst into tears. And, and it was incredible because all the things that we talked about, all the things that I wanted to happen when I first moved here, all the things that I, all my dreams, hmm. suddenly right now, this year has been one of the greatest years, not only of my career, but of my wow. life. That's fantastic. And yeah, it's really just opening yourself up to generosity and, and mm -hmm. also being generous, Open your, opening yourself up to people who trust you and want to trust you and knowing that you need to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And then as my book talks about, like opening yourself up to the joy, you, we look at the, at the news every day and it's so horrifying. It's so terrible, mm -hmm. like nonstop every story. And yet within our lives, there's all this joy. You're going to see back at Red Rocks tonight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what, what could be better than that? It might be in my future to get inside the Karma Dome of Pittsburgh <laughs> again. But um, I want to ask you about the past. And um, just quickly, if you can, like talk about something that you sent me in, an email about. You said you listened to my interview Molly Tuttle and what I said about stuttering and that, you know, uh, you grew up in Pittsburgh and then, you know, ended up in, in, in this very fast, fantastic world of RISD and then New York city, you know, but you had experience having a stutter. And then, and then one of the uh, charmed um, things that happened in your life was, was that you worked for Annie Leibovitz and she's the kind of person who's like, Oh, that stutter's not going to work for me. <laughs> That's exactly right. First of all, Annie stutters, which is which is kind mm. of um, interesting too. Yeah. But when I uh, I grew up and I had I had a bigger problem when I was reading. If I had to read mm. in front of a microphone, if I had to do what we're doing now, yeah. Um, if I had to get up in front of a class, I went to a journalism school for a little at the beginning of college and. Mm -hmm we had to go on the radio. I could not do that. I mean, yeah. I would just be blank. When I um, moved to New York and I had to call people up, strangers, it was really, really hard. Half the time I would have to hang up. Yeah. I couldn't get their name out. I couldn't get my name out. That was really mm -hmm. hard. But, um, but then I started working for Annie, who was my hero growing up. And I was mm -hmm. so excited and it was such a big deal. And I would start making phone calls for her. I was the only assistant in the office. So I, yeah. it, it was, it was insane. It was the last six months of Rolling Stone, the first six months of Vanity Fair. Okay. And at some point I'm on the phone and I'm stuttering, not horribly, but enough. So I'm uh, struggling. Yeah. And she says, you can't stutter if you work for me. Like there's no room for, for a stuttering here. Wow. And you know, it's like, oh, that's how it's solved. <laughs> 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 I knew there was a trick. You got to go with your hero and they tell you that you can't stutter. And then like some magic wand is being waved above your head. But um, whatever happened, I got to the point that I could, um, that I could communicate. Yeah. But, but when I left Annie, I specifically remember there was a magazine called Geo and I was trying mm -hmm. to call the picture editor who was Elizabeth Biondi. And to get that out of my lips was absolutely impossible. Mm. And I would call them all the time and have to hang up. Yeah. And then I finally got through and got my first big assignment. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe all it took was someone saying, you can't stutter anymore. And they said, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, a little WD-40, you yeah. know, a little kick in the ass. Who knows? I mean, it is, um, I still have issues, but, um, and when I look at my lips sometimes when I'm talking mm. on a Zoom or something, I can see that my mouth is like playing around it. But uh, people don't hold it against you. <laughs> that's my that's my hope. Yeah. I mean, it's important. The things that I've learned is that it, um, it's important to not stop yourself from doing things that you want to do because you stutter. Because then your stutter is not going to improve because you're not going to get practice talking. And then also um, um, anytime you go into a social situation or work situation, trying to hide your stutter, you're going to stutter way worse. Totally. You know? Totally. And it's not about um, going to therapy or going into a, a, your daily life, trying to stop stuttering. It's about actually making peace with it. And, and then you get through your stutter and you find right. your ways, your mechanisms. And so a lot of people who stutter um, when they're kids or when they're um, adolescents really bad, um, still stutter. It's not like me at, at my age or you at your age. It's not that we have completely quote unquote cured our stuttering and not stuttered anymore. It's just that we know how to work with it. Right. Right. You know? And, uh, and yet here we are, we're mm. able to communicate yeah, and, yeah. um, and it would be very sad if our stutter won the, won the fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Adam, I have to stop right now. Cause I'm looking over your shoulder at a picture of Pete Seeger. Oh and yeah, Pete, yeah, yeah. And Pete Seeger was my hero growing up. Yeah. He was just such a huge, huge part of my life from mm -hmm. going to see him at Carnegie Music Hall when I was really young and yeah. people passing out, you know, sheets of paper, don't go in. He's a communist <laughs> Two holding my son at a Clearwater festival and we're right at Pete Seeger's feet. And it was mm. just so incredible. But I got this assignment for Rolling Stone to photograph Pete Seeger. Mm -hmm. And I go up to his house on the Hudson. It's a, it's a late winter day. It's bright sun. It's beautiful. It's cold. And he's out there chopping wood when I get there. And he's in his eighties or something. Right. I don't know. He was an older guy in great shape. He still had like said, 20 years to go at that point. Too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and he s says, I got to get the sap boiling. Then I can um, do the pictures with you. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole time I'm there, I'm just pinching myself. I can't believe it. And just to back up for one second, what I yeah. do for a living is I photograph strangers. Right. So I don't get in a place where I'm comfortable. <laughs> I mean, I do get to a place mm -hmm. that I'm comfortable, but it's not like we have a long relationship. It's like every day it's a new person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there I am with Pete Seeger and he's chopping wood and he's burning down the, you know, getting the sap boiling and all this white smoke's coming out and the Hudson's back there. And I'm taking these pictures that I love so much. And I have to send you one because yeah. you would obviously love it too. Um, and then he goes and gets his banjo, sits on a log. He says, what do you want to hear? <laughs> <laughs> what did and you say? And this gets to an interesting part of our discussion about albums. I said, the song I want to hear is um, 
it's on a very rare album. It's it's on an album called Pete Seeger Now. Hmm. And it is, if music could only bring peace, I'd only be a musician. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, I do know that one. And it's mm. so, it's so beautiful. And he was kind of shocked because everyone wants to hear Guantanamera mm. or uh, <laughs> a zillion other things. And, and he played it for me. Wow. And, and in my career, when people say, who was your favorite person to photograph? What was your favorite shoot? I never really answered that question because... They're, they're all my, they're all my children. And, yeah. you know, my stock answer is it's always the next shooting. And I really believe that, but that moment at that mm. shooting was really, um, really special. Mm. That takes us nicely into what, you know, can be the, the, uh, the intermission of our conversation in a way. And I would like to know what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um, okay, so I made a list. <laughs> That's great. Um, and for every album I picked, I, I know I'm cheating here, there, there were two albums. So I picked a, um, a, for my soul album, I picked Songs in the Key of Life, which yeah. I just is so amazing. I think the song As is one of my, absolute favorite songs of all time. And when I photographed Stevie Wonder, he um, he sang that for me. Wow. And it was, again, one of those moments that, that you can't even believe exists. Mm. I'm going to tell you a super quick story, though. Yeah. He, was, he was doing Songs in the Key of Life, the entire album, several years ago in Denver. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't go. And I was just freaking out because I had to hear as live and a couple days later i was going to dallas and he was there doing that concert i get off the plane it was for work i think i was there i run to the american airlines arena and it's all locked up hmm. and i'm running around looking for an usher or an open door it's locked up the show started and i'm banging on the doors like i picture myself as benjamin at the end of the graduate, the graduate banging yeah. on the doors elaine elaine but i'm like i have to get in <laughs> Finally, all the doors open and it's intermission and everyone comes flooding out. And I start going up to the ushers. I said, I need to get in. I only need to hear one song, but I have to do it. I'll pay you a hundred dollars. If you'll just let me stand in the back and hear this one song, no one is letting me in. And finally mm -hmm. someone says, just stand here. He goes and gets the manager. The manager comes out and says, what the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> you know, you don't have a ticket, you aren't getting in. I said, listen, I just flew from Denver. I need to hear this one song live. I just have to hear it. And I make my case and he goes, stand here and don't move. And I don't know if he's getting the police or what's going on. 10 minutes later, everyone's gone back in, he appears and he goes, follow me. I still don't know if I'm going, you know, where I'm going. Yeah. He takes me to the side of the stage, puts me in a seat and says, enjoy. Oh, in a seat. In a seat. That wow. moment, the lights go down. He comes back on stage. And that baby that is crying at the beginning of Isn't She Lovely is now 32 years old. And she's on stage singing with him. Wow. And I got to hear the whole, you know, last two sides of the album, which include as. Wow. 
<laughs> well, it's, it sounds like you need to write many books, George, not just, <laughs> not just these two. So yeah. the, the, the other album that I would balance with that, that I, yeah. that I've just loved so much is uh, John Baptiste. We are. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's just an extraordinary album that he made during COVID. And uh, the more I listen to it and play it, the more yeah. I've loved it. And yeah. I listen to that a lot for jazz albums. I think monks, um, Riverside recordings and Bill Evans Riverside box two are both, mm -hmm. I, I could listen to those for forever. Um, and also with my jazz album, you know, I photographed Quincy Jones and he told me to listen to actually the same night as, uh, as Stevie wonder, it was for a vibe cover. Oh. Um, and, uh, and I did this shot of uh, Coolio too that night that Weird Al Yankovic then copied for his uh, album cover. Hmm. Um, but Quincy Jones said that he listens to Kind of Blue every single morning of his life. Wow. And I did that for a while and I could keep doing that forever too. Yeah. That album keeps on giving. Um, at the Boulder Theater one winter night, I went to see this group called the, I don't even know how to pronounce it, the Tori Raquel Collective. Oh, um, oh. it's a pianist from Israel and it's a blues guitarist from Mali, mm -hmm. um, whose, whose father, Ali Farkatora was a very famous blues guitarist. And this guy is named Vu Farkatore. Um, they have an album called the Paris sessions. And this is on your five. This is on my five. And you really liked it then. I love it. Yeah, and there's wow. a song on there called Hodu that I think is really, um, just magical, magical. <laughs> We'll put that on the playlist because we have a, a Spotify playlist where we put at least one one song from each album. Ah, yeah, so people can check that out. So for my uh, rap category, I have two. I love Chance the Rapper's Coloring Book. I think oh, that's cool. yeah. that's just an extraordinary album, and we listen to that at our house all the time. And in my studio, I spent last summer listening to No Name's Telephone. And I don't know that one. I got to check that out. Every song is like two minutes long. The whole album's like 28 minutes. And I listened to that 500 times and I just can't get enough of it. She also has, that album's like three or four years old, but she has a song that she released two years ago called Rainforest. And I listened to that 500 times this summer. I could, hmm. I, I, I'm not even quite sure what it means. I keep trying to understand it, but I just love this song. It's that you should definitely consider it's it's fantastic but she just came out with a new album last week and the lyrics are on one song are are extremely troubling and people are rejecting the album because of this one song mm. and and i just haven't listened to it enough for kind of come to my own thing but i think she's an extraordinary talent um i'm gonna throw one other album in here which is what i listened to my whole childhood growing up and it's so random but my parents loved bobby short and they loved uh uh new york cabaret mu music and he was oh, kind cool. of the uh, king of that and he has an album called bobby short loves cole porter it, and it sound, it sounds like music has just always been a big thing in your life even even with your family growing up huge huge i mean music is is the sound uh, there's a soundtrack to my life i've mm. never done a photo shoot without music playing and yeah. you know back in the day i would take 500 cds to a shooting and i would spend much more energy on the music because <laughs> the rhythm of the shoot was so mm. important to me much more important than the lighting or the clothes or the hair and makeup i the music and you know my whole thing when i photograph it's not about 
what things look like. It's what they feel like. Right. Right. And that's what, and uh, music was just a huge, huge part of that. What music was playing when you uh, photographed the cast of Seinfeld? <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, I would put together mixes that uh, I, back in that time, I used to play Joe Jackson's, um, that album that he did of, uh, oh my gosh, I'm spacing, um, Jump and Jive. Yes, I played yeah. that a lot. I would play a lot of Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and that kind of stuff at shoots. Oh, cool. Um, but then I I also like, I love John Laurie. Have you watched Painting with John? No. Uh -uh. It's on HBO. It's the most, it's my favorite show by far. Huh. It's these 20 minute um, episodes and the music is John Laurie. A lot of his Marvin Pontiac stuff, which was this, this kind of character that he created, this blues character, but also voice of Chunk and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and his paintings great, and his stories are insane. I can't oh, that recommend cool. John Laurie enough. I love Beirut. I saw them mm -hmm. at um, at Brooklyn Academy of Music, and I thought the roof was going to blow off the place. Uh -huh. I mean, I just that was that album, um, the Flying Club Cup, and that song Nantes. I just, I just love. Um, there's an album that Lucinda Williams and Charles Lloyd did called Dust. And when my mother was sick, someone gave me an apartment and I'd go there every morning to write. And I listened to that album on a loop. That album is, and the reason I didn't include it in my top five mm -hmm. is I was trying to decide if I'm up on this mountain and there's zombies everywhere <laughs> that I'm avoiding, am I like, if I listen to music that's too sad, that would be, um, that would, that would be hard. Some people feel, uh, comfort in a sad music, like as sad as possible. And we just, we just lay in it like a, like a comfortable bed. Sometimes right. I feel that, that way. Right. Well, I think dust, um, I mean, when my mom was sick, that really did it for me. That was really, mm. that was really helpful. And then, I mean, the other two people, I, I, I mean, there's so many people, but like Tom Waits, I listened to all the time. I think Blood Money, which was a soundtrack that he did for yeah, Robert Wilson yeah. performance is. Did you photograph him? No. It's oh pretty hard God. for anyone to get any access to Tom Waits whatsoever. Yeah. Which That's is really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Sometimes, sometimes your heroes, and I photographed a lot of my heroes, but there are a lot of people that I actually don't want to meet. I remember you saying that. Yeah, because if there was anything that you didn't like about them, it would ruin your your enjoyment of their art. Yeah, and yeah. and most people aren't who they pretend to be. I mean, I think Tom Waits is the real deal. I think the people yeah. that have photographed them have done insanely great photographs. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there, there are certain people I almost don't feel like I need to photograph because other people mm -hmm. have like captured it. Yeah. Um, the same with Patti Smith. You know, mm. I, I love, I love Patti Smith. Horses is one of those five favorite albums, I guess, if we're going to 10. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think that she's had an incredible career. And um, yeah. And the other thing I love with musicians is when they evolve. Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. you know, had this whole career of big band and all these things that she did. And then at the end of her career, she did the, the most intimate perfect duets with Joe Pass and Oscar Peterson. And those are, are on a level that you can't reach when you're younger. 
Right. And I love when musicians can let go of all the things that made them famous, how high the moon and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and can get to this incredibly sophisticated or this place that you get to through experience. Yeah. I mean, when Tom Waits was doing his whole lounge singer thing, I mean, there was no sense that he would ever do something like like Alice, like something which is really sophisticated and deep, you know. Did you ever photograph Paul Rubens? No, no. Yeah, that's that's somebody I've been thinking about a lot lately because when I was a kid, Pee Wee Herman was, the playhouse was just the most surreal, magical thing. And then when I, when I had a kid, I bought, I bought the box set like the day it came out so we could watch every episode together. It was, right. it was, it was like if Howdy Doody was directed by John Waters. Is like ah. how, I, how I see it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Paul Rubens is another guy like that was such an invention mm-hmm. that if you photographed him, you were photographing for years, the invention. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to a bunch of interviews with him recently and, uh, He's a little scary to me. And, and mm. I think that he was scary in the show too. Mm. Um, brilliant, brilliant. And the work he did was amazing. But there are, I mean, someone told me about Tom Waits, a friend of mine from Pittsburgh. Yeah. When Tom Waits was playing at the Beacon. I said, I'm going to go see him. He goes, get a balcony seat. It's scary getting too close to him. <laughs> and and yeah. I feel that way maybe, maybe about Paul Rubens too. Yeah. By the way, since you, you know, this is, based on music yeah. the rick the rick rubens book what is it the the creative way oh yeah um, i haven't read it yet it's it's really it's really good it's really wonderful to listen to because he does a thing with the gong and his voice is very yeah. beautiful but this idea that we're all creative and mm-hmm. things we do and i have a lot of friends so i'm not as creative as you and this and that mm-hmm. it's like well what you what you make for breakfast oh i got these like five ingredients i had never put it together this way but i like put it together i put pesto in the pan and then i put a wiggle mm-hmm. on top of it and then i broke an egg on top of that and put a tomato on top of that and it's like that's what i'm talking about you know you're a painter it's- yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. and and, and and I think that he's done a really amazing job of of taking a career in music and mm-hmm. really being smart about it and letting it evolve into something else where he's having discussions now and talking about ideas yeah. that are the evolution of a life and a career more than just, you know, I found one thing that I do well and I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I would like to see Brian Eno also have a podcast where, you know, he would talk about, you know, um, he's very different, but um, he's the kind of person who says, I'm not a musician. I'm, I'm just, you know, somebody who, uh, I don't even know what he would say. Somebody who understands music on a level that can help other people transform their careers. Like if Bowie or Talking Heads or U2 had never worked with Brian Eno, they might have only stayed right. in one lane that they were in. You know, right? I mean, another person who I who I really love is um, Keith Jarrett, and yeah. Yeah. and and I think about him a lot because he would go to Carnegie Hall and take his mind like it was an etch a sketch mm-hmm. and turn it upside down and shake it, and then walk out on stage completely blank, as blank as he could get himself, mm-hmm. and 
start playing and wherever the music took him, he would not, it was not from a map. It was not, he would not play GP, you know, from a GPS. Yeah. He was like, he was like trying to find where it would go. And he created this thing where the audience would go with him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was apps, you know, I like to think like, I do no research when I photograph people. I did a lot of the ads for the Seinfeld show. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen a Seinfeld episode till like a couple months ago. I, I like was going by it and it was on and we watched it. And I said, Oh, Steffi, this is my wife. This is, yeah. this is really funny. And she goes, of course it's funny. <laughs> like, what did you think? But I did Jim Carrey's movie posters. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen a Jim Carrey movie. I was never interested in photographing the person's celebrity. I was yeah. interested in photographing who they were as, as people. And I think that artists that can get to that place, Keith Jarrett, um, like almost every jazz musician. Um, I think Tom Waits goes there. I, mm -hmm. I mean, you go to these places where they create an experience that's so alive, but it also feels so like an adventure yeah. that you can't yeah. go on by yourself, but you're in an audience and you're all going on this, this adventure, both together and having individual experiences. That's how I feel about Pee Wee's Playhouse, right? Yeah, <laughs> right yeah. I'll tell you yeah. another concert yeah. at uh, Carnegie Hall. I saw one of the last concerts of Giles Roberto. Oh, wow. And he was, a you know, he really invented Bossa Nova, one of the, mm -hmm. one of the first people to do it. And he, he's an older man. He comes up on stage and he starts to play and he goes, I can't do this. Mm. I, I can't hear. And he won't play. And it goes on for like a half hour. And the audience is getting very restless. People are trying to come up and help him. And finally, someone comes up and it's like, they turned the key or something and yeah. he gave this concert. I have wow. one other really good story. All these stories <laughs> are coming to me. I went to the Hollywood bowl, the last three concerts that Nina Simone did. She did Carnegie hall and got this insane review. And then I think she did San Francisco. And then she came to not the Hollywood bowl. It was, um, oh, the Greek, the Greek theater, the Greek theater. And I'm sitting right up front and she comes on stage and she's waving this, feather it was like a peacock feather and she's waving it and people are yelling out songs for her to to play and she goes get the record get the record and then she sits down at the piano and a elderly gentleman black gentleman very dignified beautiful posture comes out and he stands right in the middle of the stage and she goes do you know who this man is and no one knows do you know who this man is she keeps repeating it she says this man came to got on a plane today for the first time in his life to come hear his sister sing. Wow. And that's music to me. She didn't have to even sing. That was the music. Like you go for these experiences yeah, yeah. that are so powerful and the music gets you there and is part of it. And is maybe the reason you're there, but it's not, it's like having this, this, this group experience that's that's just so powerful and you know it's what my book is about it's what yeah. my career is about and i've really tried to create these experiences where myself and another person can have this interaction where we go to this place that we can't get to on our own we need each other yeah and you know so much of being a uh, important uh, successful photographer is is what you're saying about you're opening yourself up to magic and you're not just taking a picture of, of the person you're creating this whole feeling in the room and then 
it sounds like what you're taking a, a photo of is the feeling. Totally. No. And, and I'm not even that interested in photography. I never right. printed my work till like five years ago. And now right. I'm making some prints and that's interesting and fun, but I consider the experience, the thing and the photographs are an artifact of the experience. And because yeah. I've yeah. been photographing a good, you know, a, a long time, I am able to take good artifacts of the experience and the photographs are, are good. And that's a thing that I do, but that's not the main thing I do. The main thing I do is to create these, these experiences. And I'm even doing this team building now in uh, corporate settings. And I'm finding it like so interesting because mm. the same thing exists there, especially after the pandemic, people are needing the emotional connection that they had with their company. They're still doing their Zooms. They're still working hard. They're still checking off the boxes, but the emotional connection to the people they work with isn't there because they aren't together. Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. creating these experiences. I give a talk and then I do this photo session that's very physical and 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 people are allowed to express themselves and encouraged to and 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 want to express parts of themselves that they can't do in a Zoom. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's really been, uh, super successful. I just did one with the league of American orchestras who mm -hmm. were in Pittsburgh. It's orchestras from all over the country. Yeah. I'm the photographer for the, um, for the Pittsburgh symphony now. That's fantastic, George. Wow. And that yeah. the, f the first shooting, Adam, the yeah. first shooting, the first person I shot is the youngest person in the orchestra. He's 22 years old. Uh -huh. He's a violist just out of um, Juilliard. His name is Sean Jewell. And he comes to the set and he's like, oh, this is this is going to be boring. You know, I, I have to have my, my uh, picture taken. I'll just play the instrument for a minute and get it over with. And he gets on my set. And the first shooting of a big project is a really big deal to me. You, you, you have to set the bar high and mm -hmm. so, something great has to happen. So he gets in front of my camera and I go, stab my lens. He goes, mm -hmm. What? I go, stab my lens. He goes, I can't do that. I said, why not? He says, I have an expensive bow. You have an expensive lens. I can't stab your lens. I go, stab my lens. And I got very excited about yeah. it. And he does it. And it's this incredibly dynamic picture that became the signature picture for the symphony. It's oh, all wow. over. It's all over town. And it's from this moment that I didn't have planned. I didn't have any yeah, idea yeah. until he was he was uh, standing there. And, you know, it's the same with being a good dad. Being a good dad is not having the night plan, not having the conversation necessarily written out or all the questions. It's like going there and feeling it all, feeling it all out, saying things that you never had thought before, yeah. listening to your daughter or your son mm -hmm. um, and, and where their head's going, giving them some quiet, you know, getting yeah. excited about things that you can get excited about. Yeah. And it's all just like that it's all one. It's not like work and your personal life and all yeah. this. It's all just, uh, you know, looking at life and, and appreciating how many amazing things are happening everywhere you go every day in the cab, in the Uber, walking through the airport, you know, Steffi and I just spent four days in New York. We had zero planned, nothing yeah, planned. Yeah. And we came back with so many experiences. We woke up in the middle of the night, someone let us this apartment on the 23rd floor of this building and there's a lightning storm and we're facing North. All of Manhattan is there. And it's just like doing this strobe light, just like I'm in a studio taking someone's picture. 
but it's the yeah. whole city of Manhattan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, something I say all the time is just, it's ridiculous to be alive. Just the fact that, that we get to be alive is ridiculous, you know? And, and so I'm appreciating every moment and, and being open to speaking of it, being open to magic. Um, I'm just about to leave to take my, <laughs> my kid to see back at Red Rocks. And, and one of the things that I remember of um, Red Rocks that was magic was taking my kid to see Stevie Wonder there. Oh, wow. Um, may, wow. May, maybe three years ago, four years ago. And um, at, at one point he brought out Usher and Usher danced on Stevie Wonder's piano. And that, that was just, you know, the, these unexpected things that aren't planned, you know, it's not, it's not the reason that you are somewhere, but then the spontaneous thing that happens becomes the thing that you remember. Right. The mm -hmm. last time I was at Red Rocks, um, Mac Miller grew up in Pittsburgh and yeah, I was yeah. friends with this, with his mom, Karen. And, Squirrel Hill, uh, I believe. Yes. Over yeah. near Frick Museum. Yeah. Um, and uh, I photographed him a bunch, but he was at Red Rocks and I was backstage with him and Wiz and Wiz Khalifa was actually, yeah. I think the headliner, they were, they were doing it together. And uh, how magical that yeah. that was you know both for the audience and for him like playing yeah. red rocks was was a really big deal yeah yeah well you're somebody who you know i i could fill 100 hours of podcast <laughs> time with so maybe you know next year when i'm um, in pittsburgh again i'll come by your studio and we'll do another episode and, and just talk i want to ask you a question about andy warhol so maybe that can be the end of our conversation and we'll put it on a clip, <laughs> cliffhanger. The next time we talk, I'll ask you the question that I want to ask about Andy Warhol. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much. It's so good to see you. And I just want to say one other thing. When I was in Boulder, yeah. you, you wrote one or two articles on um, what I do. And uh, yeah, those, those are really, that, that was really a big deal and, and that you got it. And uh, yeah, man, you're such a good writer and I really Thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate Thank it. you. Um, I'm looking for it because I know it's in my iCloud or something, but there's a photo um, of me and you. It was so special to me to interview you about uh, uh, Francesca Woodman and about how, oh. you know, you were in her loft after she died and all of the photos were everywhere, you know, so, so to be at MCA in that exhibit that was made to be the loft and the stand there with you was, was I'm, it I'm was not made to be the loft. It was the loft. Yeah, yeah. They took a couple photographs of mine and recreated her loft and it was yeah. two stories high. And it was, yeah. it was breathtaking. Oh, it was so breathtaking. Was great. Just, just for, if, if, if someone's made it to the end of this, there's mm -hmm. a book of that show called portrait of a reputation that yeah. has the pictures that I took of Francesca and um, Francesca's pictures that Rizzoli put out yeah. um, with that, with that show. There's also a really good interview on the, uh, Dazed Digital um, okay. on, on Francesca yeah. and myself. And my book comes out. I'm going to plug it. Um, yeah. It's in pre-sale now. It's called Picturing Joy. Uh, and it is being published November 6th. But you can you can get it now. And um, I'd love to get feedback from anyone that is uh, enjoying it or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thanks so much. Yeah, Have fun you. tonight. Yeah. Another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away, leave you to fall. Yeah.
That was George Lang and me talking about his new book, Picturing Joy, and his love of music, and a lot more. Um, thanks again for listening and to Savory Cuisines for their support. Um, make sure to check out George Lang's amazing photos at georgelang.com. And also, I go there to order his book. Um, all right, we'll see you right here again next Monday for another episode of Mile High Stash. Um, the Beck Show was really great, and I had a great time with my kid there. Um, it's it's funny when you go to see music that meant a lot to you when you were the same age that <laughs> your kid is now. And um, sometimes I write um, show reviews for liveforlivemusic.com, and my Beck review is up there if you want to check it out. Um, I also have my own um, website where I, um, it's, it's not a blog, it's just where I collect articles that I write for, uh, uh, the weekly newspaper in, in Boulder and then Westward in Denver and, uh, cycling magazines and liveforlivemusic.com. Um, and that website is, um, Adam Perry writes at wordpress.com. All right. We'll talk soon. Go on and give oblivion a shot Go on and fade to gray You got to Maybe you'll do better without God And maybe I'll do better Without you Well, I wish that were true And I wish that were you Sitting across from me Instead of this impersonation of the 